We've come to the end of another season of the podcast, and the end to another year. It was an interesting one, to say the least. But as Star Wars fans and collectors, it was pretty exciting. We followed the Bad Batch through the animated series' first season. We witnessed historic sales as an L-slot rocket-firing Boba Fett prototype crossed the $165,000 mark and a carded, double-telescoping Luke Skywalker and sealed Millennium Falcon each sold for $42,000 through Hake's auctions. On sites like Facebook and eBay, carded and loose figures broke previous price records as collectors continued the never-ending hunt for Kenner collectibles. The prices of accessories skyrocketed, especially ones from the Power of the Force and Droids and Ewoks lines and it seemed like everyone wanted a carded Boba Fett and was willing to pay handsomely for one. Star Wars collecting exploded last year and grew larger and larger this year. Finding newer Hasbro toys at retail was nearly impossible as collectors and resellers snatched them up before they made it to store shelves. Hasbro's three and three-quarter inch line, the Vintage Collection, spiked in popularity. The latest crowdfunded HasLab project, the 6-inch scale Black Series Rancor Monster, failed to be funded and became the first HasLab Star Wars casualty not to reach production. Prices for the Black Series figures topped $25, with the deluxe figures hitting $31. And the vintage collection figures aren't too far behind, with some of the deluxe ones selling for $27. Toy shows came back in a big way during the second half of the year. From June through November, toy shows and conventions filled the weekends, making up for lost time. And meetups were in full force as well. The first international collector's event since 2018 was held in Pennsylvania over the summer. The Georgia and Empire State Clubs held events like FonzCon and the Summer Social and we witnessed the birth of the West Virginia Star Wars Collectors Club. We're days away from the premiere of the series The Book of Boba Fett, and we have so much Star Wars content to look forward to in the coming year. The new Obi-Wan series, Celebration Anaheim, and all of those action figures we pre-ordered months and months ago. This is a look at the year that lies ahead for Star Wars collectors and fans. This is a series of questions about the future of Star Wars, with some thoughts and predictions. This is a time to deviate from the regularly scheduled programming and to hang out and to talk Star Wars for a bit. This is the end of Season 3. This has been an honor and a blessing. And this is Star Wars Prototypes and Production. Stars is
Force and become a Jedi like my father. The Force will be with you. Always. I wanted to do something different this year. Last year I ended Season 2 with a wrap-up of one of the strangest and most trying years I can remember. And since we all went through it together, I think you'd agree. Last year was like nothing we'd ever experienced. This year felt like last year's weird cousin. And yet there were moments of true growth, of development and learning, and beauty and brilliance. I personally felt like it was a transition year for me, and that's okay. It's never great going through it, but we all need a year or two like that sometimes. Anyway, for this episode, I didn't want to do a recap of the year that had passed. Instead, I wanted to take some of the events that we experienced as fans and collectors and look to the future. And I came up with questions that piqued my curiosity, and ones I thought you'd find interesting as well. I don't have answers to these questions, but I try to make rational predictions based on what we've learned from the past few years. But they're questions worth considering. So let's explore the year ahead from the perspective of a Star Wars fan. How will the Book of Boba Fett impact the world of Star Wars? Do you remember watching the second season of The Mandalorian? Last year, fans tuned in to the Disney Plus streaming service each Friday morning in November and December to catch the latest episode. And since the show would premiere at midnight on the West Coast, that meant that those on the East Coast would have to set their alarms for 3 a.m., or would stay up all night to be one of the first ones to watch in an attempt to beat the spoiler-laden landmine that was social media the next day. Keeping Star Wars fans engaged and interested can be a tricky thing, and The Book of Boba Fett certainly has had its hands full in being the first live-action Star Wars story after The Mandalorian. Maybe the show is still days away from becoming a reality, or maybe you're in the midst of this first season but I think it's likelier that the book of Boba Fett will be a success than a failure. There's always the possibility that Disney would destroy what people loved about Boba Fett by giving us the next chapter of the character's life. But I think Fett is the perfect Star Wars character for Dave Filoni and Jon Favreau to explore. They can expand on his life after Return of the Jedi without disrupting what Lucas created for him in the original trilogy. In many ways, The Book of Boba Fett is the continuation of a story that began in The Mandalorian. Season 2 introduced us to a Boba Fett who survived the Sarlacc Pit. And The Book of Boba Fett will finally flesh out the character whose meager screen time and backstory over the past 40 years made him more of an interesting design than a person. Fans have been obsessed with Boba Fett for decades, and I think the latest Disney Plus series will keep them connected to the Bounty Hunter on a much deeper level. And if the series turns out to be a success, expect to see more Book of Boba Fett action figures and collectibles from Hasbro, as well as the prices of the Kenner figures and the Slave One ship to reach new levels, especially in the first half of this year. 
How will the new tax policies affect the collecting market overall? Starting in 2022, the threshold for reporting income on sales on eBay is shifting from sales exceeding $20,000 to ones over $600. These changes will apply to sites like Mercari as well as payment platforms like PayPal. Time at home over the past two years has turned many collectors into amateur dealers, capitalizing on the collecting craze by buying and selling Star Wars toys, often with significant profits. And collectors flocked to toy shows and to toy stores once they reopened, grabbing whatever they could to mark up and sell online or during live auctions in some of the more popular Facebook groups. However, the new tax policies may change the market, and possibly for the better. If those who are not previously paying taxes on sales now have to factor in that percentage along with the substantial fees that a site like eBay commands, the profit margins are going to be much slimmer. And that means that dealers will likely charge more for vintage and modern Star Wars pieces, which could price them out of the sales they need to reach the profit percentages from the previous years. And that may become harder to do if buyers pull back from picking up pieces at those new prices. And more likely, and more interestingly, the change may deter those who are in the hobby strictly to make money. Instead, they may opt to explore other markets and outlets for investments, and could abandon the Star Wars collectibles realm. And yet, we may see a simple shift in where Star Wars toys are sold. Many of the dealers who took advantage of the ease and reach of online selling may seek out local and larger toy stores to sell their wares in person. They'll likely favor cash transactions as well, and may reward buyers willing to pay in cash with better prices on the items they purchase. When it comes to newer Hasbro releases, finding figures in stores has been a nearly impossible challenge. The values on the secondary market have been so high since the figures are in demand, and resellers have taken advantage of this. They've learned when the shipments arrive at the brick-and-mortar stores and are willing to show up before the stores open, or to wait in the aisles until the latest cases are unpacked. However, the new tax policies could disrupt sellers' plans and profit margins in a large way. And the less profitable the latest Black Series and Vintage Collection figures are to resellers, the less interested they'll be to snatch them up at stores. If that is the case, we could see a return to shelves stocked with inventory, waiting to be purchased by children and collectors. Although the tax policies will go into effect this year, many amateur dealers may not be aware of how the changes impact them directly until 2023, when they have to pay their taxes and report their sales. So business may continue as usual for this year. But regardless, the new changes will have an important and lasting impact on the Star Wars collector's market. So a question I have going into this year that I think is important for collectors is what does the future of HasLab look like? And maybe more importantly right now, what is the next HasLab project? So if you're not familiar with HasLab, it's really interesting. HasLab is an arm of Hasbro, and it's their, it's their crowd-funded, crowd-sourced uh, wing 
where they're able to produce pieces that likely wouldn't make it to retail because of the size, the scope, the price. Um, and instead, they, they propose a project and then um, they have a certain number of backers that need to back it by a certain date in order for the project to be funded and to go through and to be put into production. Um, I think early on, uh, originally the, the number was 5,000. Now it's more like 9,000 backers, also depending upon the, the price. So we've had the Katana, which was uh, Jabba's sail barge, and that, was, that came out in, um, in 2019. And that was the first HasLab project. It was views, viewed as a huge success. Um, great piece. And then uh, after that, uh, the Razor Crest, which is the, the vehicle in the Mandalorian, his ship, um, was, was funded and backed. And uh, the price tags on each of them, the Katana was 500 and, and the Razor Crest was 350. Uh, most recently, we had the Rancor as a project, and it was for the six-inch scale Black Series line, um, and that one failed as a project. Uh, so I think going into the new year, I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what the next HasLab project will be. Uh, if I were to make a prediction, I would say that the failure of the Rancor as a project hit Hasbro pretty hard. Um, because they were on a roll for a while and Hasbro really fumbled the campaign from start to finish. They, it appeared that they were tone deaf uh, to their fans, what the fans were looking for, um, and uh, because they also released these stretch goals as well. Uh, so if it hits 9,000 backers, then, uh, then the project gets funded. If it hits 11, then they, they throw in uh, something else. And, and it's... You know, they, they usually have about four different stretch goals to get it toward, uh, I think it's somewhere around maybe like 19,000 backers. You know, that that's maybe the ultimate goal. And at that point, I mean, you're talking about probably something on the order of like a, a grossing $6 million uh, for a project like, like this, which is no small feat. I mean, that's, that's pretty incredible. Um, but so, so the six-inch Rancor failed. And I think this is a really interesting point and really important point now uh, for, for Hasbro. So since it failed, Hasbro is limited on the size and scope of, of what they can do uh, with the Black Series. Because they, they, could, make <laughs> they could make something like a, a Jabba Sail Barge or the, um, the Razor Crest. Uh, and you'd be looking at something that would be basically too big and too expensive uh, for, for anyone's budget and, and to fit in anyone's house, uh, unless you have uh, you know a, a, a garage where you can store something like the sail barge. So the Rancor was, for Hasbro, something that was doable. Uh, the price point was 350 which seems which a lot of collectors felt was too high, but realistically, I mean, it seems like, like that's kind of a... a a reasonable price point for a six-inch bigger-scaled piece, but I don't know what else they could really do, be just because the the size of the figures and the the si the scope of the um, the the line is so so large to begin with. So all of this is to say, I really think it's going to come down to being um, a vintage collection project. Uh, I, I think. 
I think Hasbro and Haslab want to distance themselves from the failure of the Rancor uh, because it, it was not a good look for the company. Um, you know, there were a lot of negatives that came out with it. Um, and so I, I think back, not backing it and, and the failure of it was actually a really good thing because I think now uh, Hasbro is going to have to listen to the fans more. And that's been a big complaint um, is that Hasbro has been somewhat tone deaf when it comes to what the fans are really looking for. Um, you know, we've gotten a lot of repacks and repaints, which I know is, is cost efficient for the company, but I think a lot of people are, are getting tired of that. So where does this leave HasLab? I think, looking at it realistically, uh, they're likely going to be much more focused on the vintage collection. They can do a lot more. They can offer a lot more through it. Um, there is an audience that, that is excited for and really demands uh, new and, and interesting items, unique items that haven't been produced uh, for the toy line yet. And... And the price points can stay rather low. I mean, if you look at the sail barge, it was a four-foot-long vehicle or ship, and it was $500, which is expensive for a toy, but for that, for how big it was and how detailed it was uh, and what it came with, I, I think it made sense. So it's interesting. It'll be really interesting to see what they do. Um, but I think we're going to get something that is going to completely cater uh, to the fans, something that the fans will likely not be able to turn down, something on the order of, of you know, the, the Razor Crest. Uh, I think that was immensely popular. Um, and uh, if you saw season two, I, I think shortly after uh, the Razor Crest was backed, um, something happened to it in, in the Mandalorian series uh, that would normally deter people maybe from wanting one. And instead, uh, I, you know, it just it stayed just as popular. And, um, you know, Hasbro hasn't delivered it yet, but uh, people are really excited about it. And so I think Hasbro is going to have to find an item like that. Um, one that comes to mind would be a full-scale for the three and three quarter inch uh, Slave One, Boba Fett ship. And I think that would tie in, it would tie into a lot, but it, it would you know essentially tie into the original trilogy, uh, Empire Strikes Back, which would be great. And then it would also tie into the book of Boba Fett. And so I, I think that's a legacy piece that would be really important. I think, you know, you could go with something like um, the, the Yoda's Hut from Dagobah, and the swamp, I know that was talked about and rumored at one point, um, but it, I think it's going to really come from something either from the Mandalorian, most likely Book of Boba Fett, um, or the original trilogy. I think they, they have to be very careful. I, I don't think we're going to see prequel stuff or sequel stuff uh, or Clone Wars, Rebels, anything like that. Um, so that's just my thought on where I think HasLab is going to go this year. Again, it's going to stick to Vintage Collection. It's going to focus on the Vintage Collection. Uh, it's going to be something that the fans can't say no to <laughs> or won't say no to. Um, you know, a beloved property, beloved piece, and uh, something that will excite people as well and will get people from, from all different eras, you know, to, um, to back it. Uh, and I think it's going to be a campaign that is going to be really well-developed because it needs to be. 
um, because they can't deal with another failure. If, if another project fails, um, and that would be two years in a row, then I think a lot of people will completely turn off to the HasLab campaign, seeing it as a waste of time and something that, uh, you know, where, where Hasbro is just not able to deliver um, on, on any sort of ideas and projects and promises or they're not meeting what, what the fans expect it to be. And a friend of mine said, too, which was really interesting and something I didn't think of, was that when you have a HasLab campaign, the whole idea behind it is that it's supposed to offer something that we've never gotten before. Something that, you know, again, wouldn't be in retail stores, uh, something that, um, that has made the Star Wars line somewhat incomplete, right? And it's, it's this special, unique offering only to HasLab. So if Hasbro can figure out what that is, uh, it will be a success. If, if they can really meet the fans at eye level, it will be a success. What can we expect from Star Wars Celebration? This year, the ultimate Star Wars convention, Star Wars Celebration, will be held in Anaheim, California in May. While there is a possibility that it could be canceled and postponed again, I think the event will take place and that thousands of fans will head out to the West Coast for a long weekend celebrating Star Wars. Provided it does happen, what can fans expect from the convention? Previous celebrations have opened each day with a major panel that has event-goers clamoring to attend. For the four-day event, I see those panels running like this. The first one could be one that was planned for the canceled 2020 event, the 40th anniversary of The Empire Strikes Back. Star Wars fans never had the chance to celebrate the anniversary as a group and in person and it would be a nice way to acknowledge the original trilogy on the first day of celebration. While it would not be as momentous as the Star Wars 40th panel in 2017, there were so many elements to The Empire Strikes Back that would make an hour-long look back exciting and interesting. Whether it's through John Williams' score, the magic of bringing Yoda to life, or the shock of Darth Vader's epic reveal, an Empire Strikes Back panel would be a memorable one and would set the tone for an amazing weekend. If day one highlights one of the films that started it all, the second day could focus on one of the more recent Star Wars series. A Mandalorian panel would give Dave Filoni and Jon Favreau time to share what it was like to work on the second season and to dive into some of the more notable moments and designs. In addition to bringing out some of the main actors, the panel could also feature newer fan favorites like Rosario Dawson, who played Ahsoka, and Katie Sackhoff, who brought Bo-Katan to life. And the panel would likely end with the first look at The Mandalorian Season 3, and would generate some of the biggest media attention from the event. The third day could be one that is focused on The Book of Boba. I think the headline-grabbing reveal would be the official announcement of a second season. 
Disney could choose to split the second day's panel into two halves, highlighting The Mandalorian and The Book of Boba, and could make the third day a showcase of the upcoming series for the Disney Plus streaming service. Doing that would not only give fans a better idea of what these proposed series will look like on screen, but would also generate excitement for the small screen offerings. And for the fourth and final day, which is generally the least attended as fans begin to head home, Disney may devote a panel to the 20th anniversary of the 2002 film Attack of the Clones to close out celebration. However, I think the new Obi-Wan Kenobi series will likely get its own major morning panel. With the series arriving in the second half of 2022, Celebration would be a perfect place to build the most hype for it, especially with appearances by Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen. And a trailer promoting it, no matter how brief or vague, would cement the series as a must-watch in the coming months for many fans, in the same way the Mandalorian First Look panel did at 2019's Celebration Chicago. No matter which panels we get this year, as long as Celebration Anaheim happens, it's a win for Star Wars fans and collectors. It will be three years since the last Celebration, and it's one of the only times of the year that collectors from all over the world meet up in one location for an exciting and memorable long weekend. I hope to see you there. Another question I have going into this year is, will this be the year that pre-order fatigue finally sets in with collectors? During the pandemic, uh, Hasbro has upped the amount of offerings uh, as far as releases for each year uh, and every month. Um, But instead of releasing the stuff at stores and online, a lot of times now they're doing these pre-orders where a majority of the figures don't come out for a number of months, uh, sometimes even a year. Um, so I, I saw earlier this morning that, uh, there is a six inch deluxe Boba Fett coming out. That's tied to the, uh, book of Boba Fett series. And I think the pre-orders, uh, are happening. And then the figure is not going to come out until January of 2023, which is a year away. And, uh, a number of collectors on the different sites, you know, have posted that they have lost track of the amount of pre-orders that they've made. They don't know what they've ordered. Um, and I, I think the pre-order market might actually bring in some fatigue for this year uh, among collectors. Because I think one of the things that collectors do as collectors is collect. And it's, you know, there's, it's kind of like a two-step process. It's, it's the excitement of the, the buying and then the excitement of the receiving. Uh, and I think for a lot of collectors, uh, especially because it's this thing of, you know, I, I want it and I want it now, um, that, that those two elements need to be close together. The I want this and I get this. And if it doesn't, and I'm not saying that's... <laughs> healthy in a lot of ways, but if it doesn't happen, uh, then I think you start to see that frustration among collectors. If they're, if they're just buying things and then not, not getting it for, you know, half a year or a year, even a few months. Um, 
And I just wonder if the excitement will be there. And after a while of this happening over and over again, um, because we as collectors, a lot of times we get uh, sucked into the hype and we see something and it's really flashy and new and shiny and, and we, we buy it. And then maybe once we have it, then sometimes there is a regret. Uh, and I just, I wonder if we're going to see more of that regret. So if that's the case, that's going to lead to consumer fatigue, uh, where people aren't getting the items that they want, especially within the time frame of a year, which is, you know, pretty crazy. Um, and then I think you're just going to start to see a lot more people being very specific about what they buy and maybe waiting until the stuff hits stores. Um, again, that will be a, something really interesting to watch in the coming year. And Hasbro may need to change up its, uh, its releases as well, too. I'm in the middle of a bike ride on a cold, blustery, 38-degree day. Um, it was windy while I was biking, but now it's not, and uh, I'm, I'm just stopped overlooking a beautiful lake. And I had another question that I think is another important one for Star Wars fans and collectors. Um, and I think it comes down to, uh, for the upcoming year, what what is going to be the first movie announcement for the new direction of Star Wars films. Because the last film that we had was 2019's Rise of Skywalker, which supposedly ended the Skywalker saga. And last year, uh, there was a teaser for a new Patty Jenkins-directed film uh, that was going to be called Rogue Squadron. Um, And it doesn't look like that's going to happen anymore. It looks like that's been shelved uh, for a number of reasons, which are pretty interesting. But I do think, as a prediction, that we are finally going to get uh, the first official teaser and announcement of the new direction of Star Wars films this year. If Celebration does happen in Anaheim, California. That's Star Wars Celebration, the massive convention um, where they get something like 70,000 people uh, you know, over the course of maybe four days. Um, and so I, I think that they will have a panel where they'll give an update and an idea of what's to come. Uh, and I, I think that's where we're going to finally get the first idea of, um, our first announcement of, of a film. Um, if I had to guess right now from the rumors that I've heard and from what sounds logical, uh, something like um, uh, The Knights of the Old Republic, which is a story that is um, based on a video game series, and uh, it has characters like Darth Malgus and Darth Revan, um, and, uh, and is, is pretty popular. So I think that's likely the direction. Um, they could go with The High Republic, which is the new book, novel, series, uh, comics. Um, they, they have uh, a new uh, live-action series coming out on Disney+, Plus. I think in the future, slated for the future, called Acolyte. Um, but I don't think they're going to go with The High Republic. I think they're going to do something like Knights of the Old Republic, because I think for this first film of this new era, 
they need something. I don't think they could start fresh um, with, with a totally fresh idea. And I think Knights of the Old Republic fits a lot of the boxes that they want to check. Um, the characters and the, and the story has been really popular among um, players of the, the video games. Um, the, the figures have been released in the Black Series and the Vintage Collection um, in the 30th anniversary going back to 2007. Uh, there have been so many uh, releases of these characters. Darth Revan is extremely popular. Um, his first appearance uh, comic is going for an absurd amount of money right now. Um, and so I think it checks off a number of those boxes. Uh, so and, and, you know, there's a big comic following as well, too. So um, it's a property that a lot of fans know about and are familiar with. Um, there are some characters that, that people are, are heavily connected to already. And yet it's a story that if you haven't played the video games uh, or read the comics, you might not be... Uh, aware of it or, or you know familiar with the direction of it and so it may be new to you and so I think that would probably be what the um, the first movie would be for, from a, a logical uh, standpoint from from a, a studio um, I do think that if celebration happens it will be announced at celebration uh, for the first time and if celebration doesn't happen then we might see an announcement on May the 4th um, or, you know, at some point in, in the summertime. Um, but I think Disney needs to address that very shortly because, you know, we are coming up on really almost three years, or, or we're at two years right now, um, you know, since the last film came out. And uh, films are a big part of, of the, the connection to Star Wars. Um, they're, they're really what, you know, everything hinged on at the beginning between that and the Kenner toys. Um, and so, you know, having a Star Wars film is, is special. It's become, uh, for a lot of people, a holiday tradition, you know, the last um, five or six years. So it'll be interesting to see how Disney announces their new projects and whether it'll be a standalone film um, or it'll be, you know, part of a trilogy um, or if they'll do something similar to what they did with the, the, um, the sequel trilogy and they'll have one connected series of, of movies and then in between those releases they'll have standalones and maybe that's where something like Rogue Squadron would fit in but it just doesn't sound like Rogue Squadron is happening um, and, and Disney's had a lot of problems with their films um, there have been numerous announcements uh, that have never come to fruition um, numerous directors who were you know, chosen to, to lead a film and wound up being either fired or having Disney go in a different direction with a different director. Um, and so I think it's really important for Disney to shore up uh, its film slate and, and to really get an idea of the types of stories that they want to tell, to get the right people to tell the stories, not just the, the director or storyteller of the month you know, that's popular right now. And um, you know, people who love Star Wars, who, who see... Uh, who have a true vision for it, who see a future and want to create connective stories with um, connective characters. But, uh, and I think the most important thing that Disney can do, whatever it releases, is to figure out, especially if they're doing a trilogy, is to figure out the story in advance. 
to do what J.K. Rowling did for the Harry Potter films, um, you know, and, and to not to not kind of guess their way through uh, a handful of years and, and, and kind of passing it on from director to director and say, okay, now, now you figure out where this goes. Um, as we saw with the sequel trilogy, I mean, it, it, it didn't work. Um, and that's coming from someone who loves The Force Awakens. So I guess I consider that a safe prediction for this year, but I, I really do see Disney announcing uh, the direction of, of its next film and and putting a, a date on it as well, too. I think that's really important and um, and giving fans more than um, more than just like a, a, a general idea of, of a film and maybe a title, but an, an actual an actual indication that something is, is happening uh, with a set date, set plans, and, uh, and it should be very exciting. So while the sun is still out, I'm going to continue my bike ride along this beautiful day, and I'll have a few more predictions to come. What will be the hot variant of the year? For collectors of loose vintage Star Wars figures, I'd pose this question. Which variant will be the one that everyone hunts in the new year? In the past, the variant that rises to popularity seems to be the one that the collecting world begins to notice around the same time. We saw this happen with figures like the Red Bar R5-D4, which has a red rectangle on its sticker that is usually white and the molded-faced Luke Jedi, whose face is molded in a peach-colored plastic and is not painted like the standard Luke figures. And when collectors become aware of these tiny but interesting differences, the prices soon spike, and the variant figures become must-have figures for any collection. This year, one of the more desirable variants was the painted helmet Boba Fett. Released at the end of the Star Wars Return of the Jedi line, Kenner painted some of the Boba Fett heads a light blue. And while the surging popularity of Boba Fett is surely a catalyst for the growing interest in this variant, it is not the most surprising variant of the year. That designation might be awarded to an accessory. Stormtrooper blasters are pretty common weapons, and Kenner included them with a number of figures, including Boba Fett. And while the average Stormtrooper blaster sells for $30, a variant consistently pulled in a hefty sum during the past year. The majority of Boba Fett figures were produced in Hong Kong, but some were made in Taiwan. And this year, collectors realized that the Stormtrooper blaster that came with the Taiwan Boba Fett was unique to that figure. Known as the V5, or Version 5, blaster, it has sharper details, and certain parts of the blaster are more squared off than ones produced in other factories. And as word spread on social media and around the collecting groups, frenzied collectors were suddenly willing to pay in the price range of $100 to $150 for the V5 blaster. As we approach the new year, which variant will become the latest craze that collectors will chase? Will it be a figure like a painted legs Han Solo, or one of the many versions of Leia Bespin? Or will the fascination with accessories continue with a newly discovered variant, making a figure seem incomplete without the right one from a specific factory? 
I think one of the accessories collectors may focus on would be the desirable and already expensive black Endor blaster. The weapon came with the A-Wing pilot and the Imperial gunner from 1985's Power of the Force line, and it appears it was produced in two different factories, resulting in slight variations. If this is the case, then it's possible the A-Wing pilot and the Imperial gunner may each come with a unique version of the blaster, which could lead to some very interesting discussions among collectors this year. Often, though, it takes one person to stumble upon a minute difference that hasn't reached a mainstream fan base yet, and to bring it to light. And if that occurs this year, it will spark an obsessive hunt for the next variant. Will this be the year that a prominent Star Wars collector sells everything? Over the decades, Star Wars collectors have come and gone. Some have sold or traded the rare and special items they've collected over the years, as their interest in the hobby waned, or as they've shifted their focus to other lines or items. Some have used their collections to level up, to pay for even rarer and more expensive memorabilia like props or original art. Others have turned their collections into the funds needed to purchase land or to buy a house for themselves and their families. When it comes to vintage Star Wars collections, we really haven't seen any of the more well-known collectors leave the hobby in years. But with the collecting demographic getting older, and with prices being higher than ever, there is a possibility that we may see someone with a storied and truly rare collection decide to call it a day and sell everything. I'm speaking less about a carded or loose figure collection, and more about one with the types of items that other collectors only dream about. Those housing one-of-a-kind items, prototypes, original art, props, pieces of Kenner history, conceptual models, anything of that magnitude for Star Wars fans. Over the years, a few collectors have sold their memorabilia and have remained connected to other collectors, attending meetups and going to events like Celebration. And with life, priorities and interests can change. But if it were to occur, what would a sale of that magnitude mean? I think a large amount of incredible items being offered to the public at one time from one source would be a spark to the hobby. At a time where competition to land even carded production figures is absurdly high, a sale like that would give many collectors an opportunity to bring something special home. And a public sale of that caliber, likely through a large auction house, would bring in a substantial amount of money for the seller. It would open a door for many people that has likely been closed for years. Do I think a sale like this will happen in the coming year? Probably not. It feels a little early. But after being in the hobby for a while, you do hear rumblings, and it's always a possibility, especially when the market is at its peak. And there would be no shortage of buyers, as more and more investors are looking to add key vintage Star Wars pieces to their portfolios, especially as a hedge against inflation and the diminishing value of currency. And if a sale occurs this year, we may find out after the fact. Collectors in these circles know one another, and these pieces do mean something to those who own them and have been stewarding them for years. 
and if a collector decides to part with items of importance, he or she would probably want to see them find a good home with a fellow collector. So a collector could liquidate a collection privately to trusted and passionate recipients. So whether you sell everything or add to your collection this year, I wish you all the best in the new year. I'm on my way home from the post office. I had to mail one more last minute Christmas gift. And I was thinking about the different predictions and and the different topics of, of Star Wars and collecting. And there's one prediction I'd like to leave you with, and it's more of a hope. I think over the past two years, we've seen so many people come into the hobby. So many newer collectors and people who were either bitten by the bug during the quarantine or, you know, maybe they just were, were drawn in by the lore of, of essentially treasure hunting, you know, and, and um, uh, we've had people that have come in, you know, who are uh, flipping items and reselling and, uh, and that's been their focus. And I think there's so much more to the hobby than that. And I think if that's the focus, then people are missing out. And if you've been in the hobby long enough, you, you've seen your share of everything. You know, the, the, the good, the bad, the great and wonderful, and uh, the, the frustrating stuff at times, too. But I think there's so much more good. And I have a feeling that the people who came in excited by the, the prices, maybe, or just, you know, the, the idea of collecting again have hopefully had time within this past year to be more involved in the Facebook groups and maybe the in-person groups, which is wonderful, and just to get to know other collectors. And I have a feeling that with so many new people, I really hope that the people stick around and that they get to know other collectors, but also become a, a true part of the community. Uh, there is a creativity and a humor uh, and an excitement that so many of our friends bring to this hobby. It makes it wonderful. Um, I know that they say, you know, it, it gets harder as you get older to make friends. And I've never found that to be the case. And I think a large part of that is having a community in which people look forward to being together and to, to doing creative and fun things, to building these, these lasting friendships and these amazing memories. Over the past few years, I've had so many adventures with other friends and collectors, and I wouldn't trade them for the world. We've just had great times together, and it's been so meaningful. And so my hope and my, my prediction is that as more and more people make collecting a part of their lives, that they will make the community more of a part of their lives as well, that they'll, they'll get involved in their local groups. If you're listening now and you're not, that's something to consider. Uh, it's something I, I just, you know, I became a part of the community back in 2016, 2017. I waited too long. I missed out on a lot of stuff, but I'm so glad I did it when I did because I, I've just, I've met so many wonderful people. Um, and I, I think you have the chance to do that now. Uh, and, and if you're part of the community already and, and maybe you're not a truly active part, there's always an opportunity to become more active and 
to become an asset, you know, and, and a resource or just a friend to others. Uh, and to make people's lives a little brighter, a little happier, and and to get more involved in the hobby that we, we all love and the franchise that we love. Star Wars is really amazing because you could literally talk about it forever. And <laughs> as someone who does a podcast, I can tell you, you can literally talk about it forever. There's so much to cover and, and there's so much about it that's exciting. Um, so I hope if you get a chance that you become more of a part of the community, more of a voice, more of a friend, uh, more of someone who, who makes Star Wars special. You know, we don't have to leave it to George Lucas, Dave Filoni, uh, anyone, any of the actors and actresses and, and designers and uh, toy makers. We have that role and that, that possibility. So that is my hope, my prediction. Um, it is always a joy and a blessing to be able to do something like this and to, to talk about Star Wars and to connect with other people. And so my hope for you for this year is that you find your own niche, your own circle of friends, and, and that that group just continues to grow and grow. So that's a look at some of the Star Wars questions and predictions for the year ahead. I have to be really honest. I've enjoyed doing this episode so much that I'm going to try to release a second part before the end of the year. I have a few more questions I think are relevant and are worth exploring as a Star Wars fan, and I think you'll find them pretty interesting as well. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Star Wars Prototypes and Production. I'm so glad you chose to accompany me on the season's adventures. We've taken trips to toy shows and discussed amazing finds, and we've had conversations about the history of how the toys were made. We also looked at the current values and trends of the collector's market and explored the stories behind the series and films we love. And we've had the privilege of listening to our friends share six stories behind their collections. It's truly been an amazing year to be a Star Wars fan. I hope these episodes brought you joy, and that you feel more connected to the films, figures, and friends from the galaxy far, far away. And in the spirit of Christmas and the holidays, I want to give thanks to God for blessing me with the ability to do this podcast, and for the bountiful blessings and friendships and moments that have come from it thus far. My collecting journey has been part of my testimony, and I'm both amazed and thankful that the God who loves you and me often uses our hobbies and interests to teach us and to speak to us. That things like plastic and cardboard become bridges for friendships that can last lifetimes. And my prayer for you this year is you would be a light to others through kindness and patience and love, and that kindness and patience and love would be returned to you in meaningful and powerful ways. These past two years have been challenging. Our lives have changed. 
We've lost loved ones, and we've lost our way at times. But I've seen what happens when we link arms and walk together, how exciting life can become, and how special moments are when we're all in the same room. And I've seen it so much in our collecting community that it always surprises me in profound ways. Collecting Star Wars is fun, but we have a larger opportunity through our shared interests and passions, and that's to touch the lives of those around us. So I'll leave you with one more question for the year. What can you do to be a light to those around you? How can you leave a positive mark on the community of Star Wars fans and collectors? Is it through connecting with one person and building a friendship? Or is it hosting a collector's meetup, planning a dinner or an event, sending something special to someone, or even just checking up on friends from time to time to make sure they're doing well during the year? Will it be in something you make, you create, you design, you share? Or will your contribution be simply being there for others as a Star Wars friend? If you choose to be that light, my prediction is that it will be one of the most fulfilling things you do when it comes to Star Wars and collecting. You have an entire year ahead of you. Make this one count. And I'll leave you with this. As the thoughtful and wise character Little Tiny Tim from Charles Dickens' masterpiece A Christmas Carol once said, They were no wonder. Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays, and wishing you all the best in the new year. From Star Wars, Prototypes, and Production.